0: Greetings, and welcome to the Contemplative Light Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Sabom, and it's good to be back. I want to apologize for a delay from this Now episode from the last episode. I've uh, been working on other projects, so but I am in the mood to get this podcast back up and regularly moving along. Um Contemplative Light has kind of lost our traction on Facebook. I think we've got a lot of likes, like 15,000 or 20,000 likes, but the algorithm's shifted, so we don't have the same uh, activity we used to have on our Facebook page, which is interesting. Um, Not the end of the world. Our YouTube page is rocking and rolling, and that's just look up Contemplative Light on YouTube. And there we are, and we are really getting up there in view numbers on our YouTube page, so that's fantastic. And um, yes, now we have the podcast, and I just want to thank all the regular listeners and supporters um, because we have so many of contemplative light and the work we have done, you know, over the years. And even though it's been a bit sporadic at times. Um just really grateful for this opportunity to be alive in this day and age and to be able to do this work at here at Contemplative Light. So I wanted to announce that I'm gonna now be offering uh spiritual direction services and um my prices are affordable and I can work with you on price. I know it's a shaky economy out there these days, so um, you know, I am certainly open to sliding scale as far as the price and in, in terms of the actual content, um, it's really spiritual or interfaith. It can be wherever you are, it, whatever form of spirituality, certainly we've kind of gotten our start in Christian mysticism and that's been kind of our mainstay, uh, since the beginning of this project, but uh, we've certainly never been confined to just that and have done podcasts on so many different topics, so wherever you're at in your journey, I'll meet you where you're at, and spiritual direction, I will say, maybe the best word to use, maybe not, I'm not sure, because... um, it sounds like a little bit of a misnomer because it's actually less directive than therapy and it's less directive than um coaching. So it's not as problem so oriented as therapy and it's not as goal oriented as say coaching. So that's one distinction if you're into that kinds of distinctions. But really, it's all about the client. It's all about you and meeting you where you're at. So if you're interested in that, the best way to get a hold of me is to email me at thegraveyardcowboy at gmail.com. That's thegraveyardcowboy at gmail.com. And just email me there and uh, we'll work something out to do a Zoom session wherever you are in the world. So that hopefully that'll work. I'll put it under the show notes and uh, look forward to hearing from some of y'all. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about Tibetan shamanism and that comes from the Bon religion and there's not really a word for shamanism in Tibetan so, but that's basically uh, the word that probably resonates with Westerners or uh, people in other cultures uh, largely, but it's the Bon religion, and um, the best teacher in this area is Tenzin Yangal Rinpoche, and he's got some great books, and I will put uh, the info about those under... Uh, the ch- in the show notes below the episode, if you're interested in buying it, it's some really good stuff. I'm going to focus more on the aspects of the kind of contemplative part of the healing in the Bon religion of Tibet, which the Dalai Lama has endorsed and visited Bon monasteries and uh, considers it the oldest. I don't know if he considers it the oldest, but he considers it a valuable contribution to Tibetan spirituality. And so, and he has certainly given the um, author, I'm going to give uh, the book information about Rinpoche, uh, his blessing. So um, his holiness is okay with it. And to be honest, uh, Tibetan shamanism has a lot of similarities to Tibetan Buddhism and other forms of Buddhism as well. There is sometimes a bias with people about anything kind of earth-based or shamanism uh, can sometimes, you know, uh, give rise to a prejudice because There's probably dark practitioners of it that use it for negative things to hurt rather than to help. And so there is a prejudice amongst some Tibetan Buddhists about that. But um, certainly, um, you know, not the place we're coming from here today. We're coming for things that can be helpful in your spiritual journey about Tibetan shamanism. And the esoteric side, the contemplative aspect of it, the mysticism of it, I'm going to just basically touch on a few things that are key takeaways. And one of them is the basic principle that everything does not have a consistent identity to it. Everything is always changing, is always temporary, and is always, uh, you know, dependent arising, meaning it's always interdependent on all these other factors um, contributing to it. So our own subjective self, our subjective sense of self and who we are, doesn't really exist because it's dependent on all these factors. It's always changing. It's always temporary. And it's, you know, just not the independent subjective sense of self that us here in the West basically like to think it is and kind of act as if it is. It's really, really necessarily not that and so that basically does not exist, and there's a great freedom in that because there's an opening of space, and there's also the freedom that we're not quite as vulnerable because there's no one here to attack. You know, we don't feel attacked quite as easy, you know, there's nothing here to attack. I'm just a conglomeration of energies dependent on one another. And, um, you know, I've certainly heard similar things said in contemplative Christianity, but this is kind of a cornerstone of uh, some parts of Buddhism and some parts indefinitely um, Tibetan shamanism, the, the secret teachings, the dog chin, basically, is what we're talking about here today. And so we have, um, we, we have that as a key kind of factor and it is a belief. Uh, it can start out as a belief and that's a good start, but in the process of integrating, you want to practice that with meditations and there are, various meditations to do that with. Um, The other thing with Tibetan shamanism that I'd like to touch upon is that there are five elements in Tibetan shamanism. There's the four main ones that we kind of see in a lot of nature-based systems, of, you know, earth, air, water, and fire. And the fifth element is space. The fifth element is space. And it's really interesting because, you know, some will place God as the fifth element. But You know, in a sense here, it's space. All the elements, everything we have is a form of one of the elements, basically. You know, is a derivative of that core elemental substance. And a kind of correspondence can be drawn. You know, it's obviously not like a computer is fire. But, you know, it does use electricity. It does use that. And it is made of solid earth materials. And so it's got earth and fire in it. Um, probably not a lot, lot of water, but there's certainly some air between me and the computer right now. So, you know, that's kind of the gist of it. There's um, you know, they're a kind of basic thing, but but they all exist inside space, and open space is the ground in the Bon religion, open space, basically, the space in which all things are contained, and, you know, Eckhart Tolle even has a good meditation about this, where he's talking about you know, the empty space uh, of a room, you know, and maybe there's some furniture in the room, but there's also empty space, and the furniture is our thoughts, and the empty space is just the pure awareness, and sometimes that can kind of ground you into just a sense of deep presence. So space you know and emptiness emptiness as the Buddhist concept that nothing here is permanent, it's all empty and it's open space and it's also light, light and not necessarily like we see colored lights. Now you can see colored lights in deep meditations of this that correspond to the different elements and The the space element has uh, white light and the other four have different lights associated with them. But it's not necessarily like the kind of light we see. It's kind of like the process of seeing itself. It's just the seeing. It's just the seeing rather than the light we're seeing, because, you know, you picture light, and sometimes you'll picture just the golden light of light bulbs, you know, that seems kind of golden or yellow, or you'll picture, like, the golden light of the sun, you know, but it's more like a clear, colorless light, you know, that's in a dynamic with space and emptiness, where it's just kind of the process the the actual faculty of seeing itself requires light. If there was no light, there would be no seeing. So just seeing in general, in that colorless light, and you know, opening to emptiness, using space in open space, which is everywhere, all the time, wherever we are, there is always space. Space is the ground. You know, people say they want to feel more grounded, and a lot of times they th- they start thinking they need to dig roots, you know, or they need things to anchor them. But with the Bon religion and Tibetan shamanism, space is the ground and grounding into the space and extending into the space. And there's a great freedom and a great peace in that. It's, you know, and it's very similar to other contemplative traditions in in so many ways, but it's just a different kind of language to put it it as, to see space as the, you know, um, kind of central element. And it's not like above or below the other four. It's in the middle because the other four are all contained inside space. So all of matter is inside space, but there is always much more empty space then there is material, and even physics has shown us that. So, extending into that open space and resting in that emptiness, um, you know, um, very similar to other contemplative traditions, but a different way of putting it, that may be helpful. And the other interesting thing they do is after you've kind of practiced, and there's different meditations and uh, sutras, you know, about going through the, the aspects of these secret teachings that I, I won't get into them all right now, but somewhere towards, um, you know, further development of the student the teacher or guru will um, give him something called the dark retreat, you know, the dark retreat, and it's basically simply being in a dark room, you know, in a dark space, maybe it's a dark shed, I've heard stories in the east of students going into a dark shed, and it's usually 49 days, and you've got a bucket to go to the bathroom, and you get food maybe slid under the door somehow, and, you know, you're just sitting in the dark, and, you know, it that can seem like a very daunting task, and it could be. I mean, it could send somebody into just hallucinations and panic and, you know, it just probably be too much for someone who didn't have a good strong foundation going into that dark room, you know, but, but the purpose would be to have all the focus on the internal rather than the external, and if you're in the darkness long enough, you will begin to see And you will begin to emanate your own light and the projections of the mind will eventually cease and you will work through so many things and form such a deeper deeper presence inside and again you need to be prepared Uh, probably for years of training before attempting 49 days. But for all of us just kind of living in the world with time is a limitation. We do have access, hopefully, to a room um, that's our own apartment or house or room in an apartment or room in a house and we can turn off all the lights at night and make it real dark and just sit in the darkness for an hour. And it almost sounds to us like something a depressed person would do. But this is not depression. This is making the focus on the internal rather than the external and seeing what comes up. Seeing what percolates in your feelings and thoughts, just sitting in the dark room for an hour in the darkness, you know, where do you go? Um, Do you, you know, you could, you may get into that darkness and have all these thoughts and have all this going on and realize all this stuff you're carrying and you're, you are you know, wondering where your cell phone is. Maybe I need to reach for the cell phone. Like, why don't I have the computer on? Like, you know, like reaching for all these things. But, uh, and there could just be so much activity going on, but it's a way for that activity to just kind of arise and kind of keep arising and work itself out until you are in this state of simply calm, just being in that darkness, and, um, I, you know, I certainly know from other traditions, too, darkness is often associated with the water element, you know, or the magnetic charge, so, um, that's an interesting aspect of the Bon religion and the trainings and the secret teachings. So, I've run through some big concepts fairly quickly. Um, perhaps I could give a little more context. Maybe I should have at the beginning. But the Bon religion basically traces its oral history back 17,000 years ago and scholars disagree on that, some say longer, some say that's right, some say shorter, um, and they also have Buddhas that came before the main historical Buddha that we think of, Shakyamuni Buddha, they, they, um, have Buddhas that came before him, and so, um, it goes back a long ways to say the least, a long long ways, you know, um, getting getting kind of past the past the uh, Egyptians, probably you know further back than that, you know so um I would probably trust the oral tradition that's coming from this teacher because I will say his book healing with form, uh, light and energy, I think is the name of it. I'll, I'll put it under just to be sure, but he writes with such compassion and such empathy and just such grace and eloquence and, um, love. And it really bleeds forth in the book. And a lot of books aren't like that. You don't necessarily feel the love of the teacher in the book, but, This book is like you feel the compassion. Like, wow, there's just such great compassion in this. And so, yes, the Bon religion, similar to Tibetan Buddhism, but definitely different, probably more nature-based, and probably varies on, you know, um, who it is practicing and what group it is practicing it. Um, So... Anyways, I think that about wraps things up. I may do some more episodes on this topic because there's a lot of material here uh, that's, I think, really good to share with Tibetan shamanism. There's a lot of uh, good, good material to share with Tibetan Buddhism. And um, we we have interviewed Buddhists, and certainly our longtime friend Chris Leward is a Buddhist teacher, who's been on the podcast a lot, but we haven't really gone deep into a lot of the Tibetan stuff. And I think it's really important to do that because that's such a valuable and rich tradition. And, you know, with the Tibetan teachers all coming forward, and they have been for a long time, and it's getting more and more so, and with the world and such chaos and, um, the Dalai Lama obviously kind of serving as the spokesperson, the figurehead for it all, the, the, the great Buddha amongst Buddhas. Um, and, uh, you know, just with that whole situation, I think it just feels, it feels clean and right to, to kind of give some voice to the Tibetan Buddhist aspect. And yes, again, if you're interested in spiritual direction, feel free to write me at thegraveyardcowboy at gmail.com. And I just want to thank everybody and wish everybody many, many blessings uh, on your journey and in your life and in your path. And, you know, may God be with you. May all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas be with you. Um, may the Lord be Jesus Christ greet and comfort you, you know, or whatever your belief is, may it your spiritual development continue as it is meant to. Okay, we will talk next time. Goodbye.